Well, good morning, and we welcome you to the table this Christmas. And we are thankful for all of you joining us in person right now here in the South Hills and all of you who are joining us uh, online and at home. The experience at the table over Thanksgiving as engaging people in the lobby this weekend, the word different kept coming up. Thanksgiving was good, but it was definitely different. And as we approach the, the table this Christmas, that will probably be the similar experience for us. Excitement and celebration fills the home, but the experience at the table with family and friends will be a lot different this year. With all that has occurred in, in 2020, the current state of COVID, everyone who sits around the table is probably seated in a position in their heart a little different from everyone else around the table. We all bring our different experiences. And specifically this year, with all this happened, some might be in different seats than others. For some, one might be in the seat of brokenness. This might be the first Christmas without mom or dad, without their wife or husband, without a son or daughter. For some, they might be seated in the seat of restlessness, trying to, to juggle working from home and, and kids going from online school to in-person to hybrid back to online, trying to load up the van and make sure that nobody forgets their masks. The Qualcomm Institute Center said uh, over the past three months, Google searches for the phrase anxiety symptoms is at a record high for the search engine as people are wondering what's going on with them. Maybe for some, it's the seat of emptiness. COVID cost them their job, or they've been furloughed for months, and there are no leads still in sight. For some, they might be seated in the seat of uncertainty. We just don't know what to expect this Christmas. And for students, they're wondering, are they going to have winter sports? Are they going to have their spring sports season? What about that school play they've been looking forward to? And seniors, you wonder, what, what is graduation even going to look like for my senior year? And most of all, COVID has produced what many might be in right now is that seat of loneliness at the table. For many this Christmas, they can't be at the table. There's an empty seat. Their high risk prevents them from gathering with their family and friends. Regardless of what seat you find yourself in this Christmas, we're going to look at scripture and look at the ministry of Jesus. Jesus who preached to the masses, but he took time to engage with individuals and as we go through these individual stories, we're going to see that oftentimes it was around a meal or literally like today, it was at a table where Jesus engaged these individuals. And they also were in these seats of brokenness and emptiness and restlessness and uncertainty. And today we're going to kick off by looking at an individual in the gospel of Luke who was sitting in the seat of loneliness. And as we do, we're going to see, as we see throughout all of these accounts during this series we've entitled Experience the Table, that only Jesus Christ alone can satisfy the position of one's 
lonely heart. So let's pray and ask God to lead us as we walk through his word. Father, we thank you for today. God, as we just sang, we praise you that there is no rival, there is no equal to the name of Jesus. God, that you invite us to your table. And the only way we can actually approach you is through your son. And as we focus on Jesus's coming, that first advent, that first coming of your son, God, I pray that you would teach us as only you can. Whatever position one finds himself in this morning, whether here physically or with us online, we pray that you would meet them as only you can. Teach them as only you can. So let the words that come out of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be honoring and pleasing to you, O God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 7. If you have it on your phone, open up there. We're going to be in Luke's gospel chapter 7 this morning. So in Luke's account of the the ministry of Jesus, by the time we reach chapter 7, Jesus' ministry and his fame is spreading like wildfire. And at the beginning of this chapter, we see these two amazing miracles of Christ. First, he heals the centurion's servant in Capernaum, and then he raises the widow's son from death back to life. Fame is spreading all over the place about Jesus asking, is he it? Is he the one? Luke chapter 7, verse 17, Luke says, and this report of what Jesus was doing spread through the whole of Judea and all of the surrounding country. It even spread to John the Baptist. John, who had been that forerunner preparing the way for Jesus, has been in prison for some time. So he's hearing these reports and he sends out his disciples say, ask Jesus if he's really the Messiah. Verse 20 of chapter 7, it says, And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? Jesus, are you the long-awaited Messiah? Jesus, by quoting multiple Old Testament texts, specifically four passages from the prophet Isaiah written 700 years before his coming, clearly proclaims that the very acts and things that he is doing is those messianic prophecies proclaiming Jesus basically says, I am the one you've been waited for. He also affirms the ministry of John, John's ministry of baptism, which was that public demonstration for those to repent of their sins and trust in the coming Messiah to come and Jesus had now come. And after that defense of who he is and the the ministry of John, we read in Luke chapter 7, verses 29 and 30, Luke says, when all the people heard this in the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves and not having been baptized by him. The common people of that day who had been baptized by John previously of that repentance of sin and the coming of the Messiah, when they heard these words of Jesus, Luke says they declared God just, or more literally in the Greek, they justified God. They they viewed these words and proclamations of Christ as the very words of God himself. But the Pharisees, those who were the experts in the law, those who knew the messianic prophecies up and down, they looked at Jesus and they rejected him still. 
and they rejected that ministry of John as the forerunner for Jesus. All of that context in chapter 7 sets the stage for our passage this morning. One of those religious leaders, one of those Pharisees that was part of all this stuff going on was a guy by the name of Simon. Simon invites Jesus to his home for a meal. We don't know the original intent of the invitation. Maybe Simon was intrigued. He had heard these these proclamations of Christ and he wanted to hear more. Maybe he's just following the Jewish tradition that you would invite traveling rabbis over for a Sabbath meal. Maybe he just liked inviting celebrities to his home so he can brag about those he knew. All we have is the context of verses 36 through 50, our passage for today. And in the midst of this invitation, an uninvited and unwanted lonely guest crashes the party. So let's look at verses 36 through 50. Let's actually read the entire passage together, and then we'll break it down. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is and who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when he could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them would love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then he turned towards the woman and speaking to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. For who is forgiven little loves little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus then said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. In Jesus's day, if you were wealthy, you typically had a home, and then you had this central courtyard that was kind of built around your home. And a lot of the meals would be in this central courtyard, and you would be seated at these tables with low-lying couches, because typically you would, you would almost lay on your side. You'd have one elbow keeping you up, the other arm to eat and engage, and your feet extended away from the table because they were considered ceremonially unclean. And whenever you invited an honored guest to your home, you went through this formal process to welcome them. 
The first thing you would do is you would put your arm on their shoulder and give them a kiss on a cheek. It was a, it was a kiss of peace welcoming them into their home. Simon did no such welcome. He did not offer that kiss of peace to Jesus. Typically, you would wash the honored guest's feet, either right there at the door or by the time they got to the table and those dirty feet were extended, you would have a servant come and wash their feet and cleanse them. Simon left Jesus' feet embarrassingly dirty. No honor. And typically, you would honor the guests finally by anointing their head with oil. Simon showed no such respect for Jesus. It appears from the context that Simon did everything in his power to make Jesus feel not welcomed with any of those three ways to welcome his honored guest. And in the courtyard, typically when you had these meals, you would leave the doors open because people knew who the honored guest was and they could come in and out as they will to hear the conversation. They could come in and out of the courtyard and hear what was being discussed at the table. Well, that's where this one individual, unwanted, uninvited, crashes the party. And look again at verse 37 of her description. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. She has no name, just a description as the sinner. Most commentators believe there's two interpretations here based off that classification. Either her husband was a well-renowned sinner and she got that classification from him, or most likely she would have been a prostitute. We, we don't know the exact reason of her classification, but we do know from the context that everyone in that room, including Simon, knew who she was. Simon identified her right away, a great sinner. And how dare she come into his courtyard, let alone approach the table. Some way, somehow, either through a public sermon of Christ or maybe a a private, unrecorded conversation, the words of Jesus Christ had broken open this lonely, sinful woman's heart. And nothing was stopping her from getting to Jesus. And she boldly approaches the table And we have that amazing verse 38. Look at that again. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. She's overcome with emotion at the feet of Jesus either at, the, at, either at the, the point of finally reaching him or maybe she was there and observed all the ways that Simon disrespected him. We don't know, but she falls before Jesus' feet. And with the, the tears running from her face and this ointment that she has brought and with her very own hair, she washes and anoints the feet of Jesus. This act would have been costly for her this ointment that she has, but every single drop is worth it for Jesus. She has no towel. Typically, you'd be prepared. You'd have a towel to, to, to either wipe someone's head or, or here she's washing his feet. She has no towel. And in this moment of adoration, she lets down her hair and all the dirt and all the mud 
and the animal feces from the dirt roads as they traveled up and down that were on Jesus's sandals and his feet. She uses her very own hair to wash and cleanse and anoint his feet. That was the lowliest act of a servant in someone's house. She did this by her own volition, her own choice, an act of outpouring love and adoration to Christ. Simon, can you picture this? Seated at the head of his table, this is his special meal. He invited the celebrity Jesus. He's completely embarrassed. How dare this woman even approach his table? How dare she let down her hair? You only did that in the presence of your husband. How dare she do that? And then the disgusting act of kissing Jesus' feet. In the, in the Greek, it's the verb to mean she kissed his feet again and again and again and again. To Simon and his religious elite around him, this woman was a sinful, disgusting mess. To Jesus, she's the beautiful outpouring of a redeemed soul. Simon, I love how Luke puts it. It seems like he does not say this out loud, but he thinks to himself in verse 39, it says, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man, forget Jesus being the Messiah at this point, if he was even just a prophet, he would know this woman's heart. He would have known who or what sort of woman this is and who is touching him for she is a sinner. Jesus is not even a prophet. He doesn't even know who she is or what she's done. And to allow this sinful, dirty woman to kiss his feet, now he's ceremonially unclean. This guy's not even a prophet. And then Jesus flips the script on Simon, right? Forget reading the woman's heart. He reads Simon's heart and addresses him directly. And through a simple parable of the two debtors, Jesus reveals Simon's heart. Simon's real problem is spiritual blindness. He looks at the sin of the woman, but he doesn't see that he is just as spiritually bankrupt as her. He doesn't acknowledge his sin. He doesn't even recognize his sin. We think about the seed of loneliness. Simon had the wealth. He had his crew. He had everything this world had to offer around him, yet he was more spiritually lonely than this woman. She was at the feet of Jesus. And as we'll see, she had a relationship with him. Simon rejected Jesus. He was the most lonely person spiritually in the room. And we get this amazing interaction with Jesus and Simon. If you picture this, Jesus is kind of seated at the table. Simon's at the head. And this woman's off at the end of his feet. Remember, they're extended away. And she's weeping on the ground. And Luke gives us this picture that it says that Jesus, after engaging Simon, he turns to the woman, but he's looking at her, but he's actually talking to Simon the whole time. And Jesus says to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. Simon, you did not give me any water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears. And she has wiped my feet with her own hair. Simon, you gave me no kiss of peace from the moment this woman walked in. She has not ceased 
to kiss my feet. Simon, you did not anoint my head with oil. You showed me no honor. This woman I'm looking at, she anointed my feet with the ointment that she brought. Therefore, I tell you, Simon, you want to talk about sin? You want to talk about sin, Simon? Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, Simon, loves little. And then he puts her, his attention right to her. The greatest phrase that could ever happen in your life, he looks upon her and says, your sins are forgiven. What a moment in the room. I want to make sure we're clear with no misunderstanding here in this text because we have the totality of Scripture when it comes to salvation. Don't read this incorrectly that this woman was forgiven of her sins because of her great love. That would be salvation by works. Instead, the outpouring of love and adoration from this woman is the outward evidence of her inward faith in Christ. It's the response of her understanding the magnitude of her spiritual bankruptcy and that she had been forgiven by Christ. And that is what causes her to pour out her love. It was not her works of love or washing his feet or, or the things she did that saved her. Jesus affirmed what saved her in verse 50 when he looked upon her and said, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The basis of her forgiveness was faith in Jesus Christ. That word faith is the beautiful Greek word, pistis, which means a conviction of truth that causes one to believe. All that outward evidence was a result of her inward faith in Jesus Christ. This woman is a reminder of a few things. If you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, if you're listening to us online, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, there is nothing that you've done that the blood of Jesus Christ cannot cover. If you have never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there is nothing you can do to earn your way to the living God. All of us are spiritually bankrupt before God. There's nothing we can do to earn, no, no confirmation class, no uh, morality, uh, no understanding and knowledge of God. None of that saves you. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, and the work of Jesus Christ alone. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, Paul made it clear. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. This is the gift of God, the undeserved gift of Jesus Christ. It is not a result of works so that no one can boast. Let me ask you today, have you experienced the love of Christ? That begins by trusting in him. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ alone as your Lord and Savior? God's love is an act of love. He demonstrated it by that first advent, the coming of Jesus when he sent his son with the mission to die for our sin. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Trusting in Jesus is acknowledging your sin, acknowledging there's nothing you can do to earn your way to the living God. Therefore, you trust in Jesus, the eternal son of God, 
who was born of the Holy Spirit. He was not born into sin like you and I. He lived a perfect life that you and I never could live, and he died on the cross for our sin. He was buried in the grave, and he rose and conquered death once and for all. Today, if you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God will look upon you as Jesus looked upon that woman and say, your sins are forgiven. Have you trusted in Jesus? If you want to talk to someone or pray with someone of what that means or looks like, or if God's working in your heart and you want someone to come alongside you, reach out to us. You can simply text TRUST to 31996 and one of our pastors and leaders will reach out to you. Looking at chapter 7, I love uh, all the gospel writers and the way God used their personalities to describe the ministry of Jesus and and his work. Uh, Luke, who was a physician by nature, he's so methodical in his writing. You see this progression of the miracles of Christ in chapter seven, healing the centurion servant. Man, that was serious. That was amazing. He, Jesus one-ups it, right? He literally raises the widow's son from death to life. How can you beat that? Well, both of those are amazing miracles of God, but the centurion servant one day would still die physically. That son who was raised back to life, he will again one day die physically. The phrase, your sins are forgiven, that's eternal stuff. That's the greatest miracle of all. The greatest miracle one can experience in their life is the forgiveness of their sins by saving faith in Jesus Christ. Because that's eternal. That's eternal. That's experiencing the eternal love of Christ that will never leave us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if you have trusted in Christ, you're a new creation. That's the experience of this woman. You are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. This woman was lifted up from her seat of loneliness. And I love that Jesus ends, your faith has saved you. And she, he tells her, he commands her, now go in peace. In the Greek, more literally, it's go into peace. She's leaving a position that was enmity between her and God. She was dead in her sin. She was an enemy of God, and now she's walking into eternal peace. She's now a daughter of the king. She now has eternal peace. She goes back out. Her circumstances have not changed into a broken world, but forever her heart has changed. She now walks with the eternal peace of the love of Christ that will never leave her, that will never forsake her. Jesus was clear. If we find ourselves in the seat of loneliness, Jesus was clear that in this world, we will face trouble, but we can have his peace. So I want to drill down two things for believers. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, what are two things that we can take away from this table experience from this sinful woman? Here's the first thing. We might still find ourselves as believers in these moments of loneliness, but cling to this. The experience of the loneliness of this world is temporary. The experience of the love of Christ, now that's eternal. When I say the loneliness of this world is temporary, I am not um, diminishing anything you're experiencing right now. Some of you are in tough, tough situations. Some of you have been in dark moments the past nine months. Some of you are experiencing serious Serious moments of loneliness. Like I said, some of you are experiencing Christmas for the first time without a loved one. We are in no way saying that this temporary spot is easy. And 
even in those darkest moments. As a believer, in light of eternity, the loneliness of this world is temporary. The love of Jesus Christ that we experience by faith in him, that's eternal. If you are going through a situation right now, please do not go through that situation alone. Please do not go through that situation alone. That's what the body of Christ is for. Email us, care at biblechapel.org. Engage us. Do not stay in that seat alone. Allow us to come alongside you and pray for you and care for you, as God calls the church to do. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we can still cling to the experience of the loneliness of this world is temporary. Whether that's one month, one year, 10 years, whatever it is, it's still temporary. The experience of the love of Jesus, that's eternal. When Jesus commissioned his disciples, he was honest with them. He never said, as believers, living in this world was going to be easy. He said the opposite. He said the opposite. But he said, in the midst of this broken world, you can have peace. Because your peace is not in a circumstance. Your peace is not in some physical outcome. Your peace is not even in yourself. Your peace is in me and in me alone. Jesus said in John 16, 33, I've said these things to you that in me, you may have peace in this world. You will have tribulation, but take heart more literally take courage. I've overcome the world. We know the end of the story. One day COVID will end at times. It feels like, when is this thing going to end? One day COVID will end one day. Sickness and disease will end. One day, death itself will end. But guess what will never end, according to Scripture? The love of God for those who are in Christ Jesus. That will never end. That's what we put our focus on. Paul proclaimed, he he was thinking of anything he could describe to make sure the church in Rome knew that the love of Christ would never end for them. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us, us as believers, from the love of God for those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the promise of Christ. That seat of loneliness you're in right now, it's temporary in light of the eternal love of Christ. The question is, how do we respond? We have that understanding. We believe in it. We cling to it. But how do we operate now? Well, let's go back to the woman's example. When she trusted in Jesus, when she put his faith, her faith in him, what, what is that picture we get of her? We see a woman who looked at Jesus now as her sole object of worship. She could care less what those people in the room thought of her as they whispered names as she walked into the courtyard. There was nothing stopping her from getting to Jesus. There was nothing stopping her. She was unashamed to worship him. Do we live in the same manner today? Second thing for us today, church, is this. May the church who has experienced the eternal love of Christ respond to Jesus with unashamed loving surrender back to him. May the position of my heart, Jesus, emulate that position I see of this woman at your feet. Everything I am, all that I have is for you, Jesus. I don't care what my classmates think. I don't care what my friends and neighbors think. I don't care what some of my family members might think. I live for an audience of one. And his name is Jesus Christ. 
He's the sole object of my worship. My time is for Jesus. My marriage is centered on Jesus. My children are for you. My time, talents, and resources are for you, Jesus. Everything is for you. You are the sole object of my worship. Every day may I wake up and my heart's position be at your feet, remembering who am I that you have redeemed me? Who am I that you have called me a son or daughter of the king? Paul says in Galatians 2.20, for those who have been crucified with Christ, it's not about us anymore. I no longer live for myself, but it's Christ who lives in me. Therefore, the life I now live in this flesh, I live by faith in the son of God. Why? Because he loved me and he laid down his life for me. When writing this sermon this week, I was convicted and I was thinking, man, when's the last time I've been on my physical knees before the Lord? So I had to pause in my office, get away from my desk and just get on my knees before the Lord. Get back to that spot of who am I? Who am I with all of Dave's junk? All the things I've done? Even after I've trusted in you, I still mess up and yet your blood continues to cover me. Who am I? that you have redeemed me. Jesus, I want to get back to that complete surrender to you. May my position be like that woman at your feet. The joy, the humility, the love and response to what you've done for me. If you give me nothing else, Jesus, in this world, even in the darkest moments of those seats of loneliness, I know your eternal love conquers all. Today, as we close, we're going to focus on the the Advent table. We do this each Christmas as a manner to prepare our hearts as we focus on that first coming of Jesus. That word Advent comes from the Latin word meaning the coming. And right around the fifth, sixth century, local churches started to institute this time of Advent where they set aside the, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas to prepare their hearts to put their focus on Jesus. Each week we'll light a candle reflecting on an attribute of God, a demonstration of God that we receive as believers in Jesus Christ. This first advent, we're going to focus on God's love. That at that first coming of Christ, God demonstrated his love. That when Jesus said in Luke 19, 10, his mission was to simply seek and save the lost. Today, we celebrate God's love demonstrated at the first coming of Christ. And as believers, we also look forward to the second advent of Christ when he will return and make all things new. No more seats of loneliness, no more sickness and disease, no more death. That will all be gone at the second return of our Lord. The question is, what do we do from the first advent to the second advent? Well, may we model the position of that woman Every day that God gives us breath, may we live with unashamed, loving surrender back to him. So as we close in worship, we're going to go back to that first song we sang. But this, these can't just be traditional Christmas lyrics. They need to be the heartfelt cry of redeemed souls. Oh, come, let us adore him. Do you mean that? Oh, come, let us adore him. We will praise your name forever in school, at work, 
in my house, during COVID, whatever it is, we will praise your name forever. And we will give you all the glory. We will give you all the glory. Christ, my Lord. Stand up, please, as we close in song.
you're in that seat of loneliness right now, care at biblechapel.org or stop one of us in the hallway this morning. If you're at home, please do not stay in that seat alone. Father, we come before you thankful for your son, Jesus Christ. God, there are no better words that one can receive than your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. As we leave the worship center this morning, as those at home go out their door, we enter right back into our circumstances that we brought in this morning. Those circumstances have not changed, most likely in the last hour, but I pray the position of our hearts has changed. That we can walk in any situation knowing that whatever we find ourselves in, that situation is temporary in light of eternity with you. Your eternal love will never change. So God, may we live as your church with unashamed, loving surrender to you. It's all for you. May we just this week in our interactions with others, with our family, and with one another as the body of Christ, may our actions bring praise to you, bring glory to you. And may we do that until we go to be with you or to that second advent when you return. We love you and we praise you in Christ's name.